This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about technology that affects all of us in a format that allows you to consume it in the time it takes to go to and from the grocery store. I'm your host, Lou Covey, and I probably know more about it than you do. And if I don't, I know someone who does. But first... Welcome back to Crucial Tech. I'm Lou Covey, and I've got a fun little interview today uh, that came about through one of those weird situations that journalists go through. Uh, We often get calls from PR people about uh, issues that we can interview, and sometimes those interviews just don't work out. And in this case, I got uh, an email from a PR company in Texas Uh, pitching me a story idea about what teachers need to know about cybersecurity. And I said, that's a really good question. So we sent up the interview and I started the interview with the CEO of this company and she was flummoxed. Uh, She she was kind of issuing general statements that anyone could know, uh, but wasn't specific about what teachers need to know. And I stopped her and I said, you seem really uncomfortable with this interview. And she said, well, I really wasn't expecting these questions about what teachers need to know about cybersecurity. So she was really just set up by her PR agency to fail, which happens sometimes. But still, it was a good question. What do teachers need to know about cybersecurity? And I said, I want to do this story. Who should I talk to? And into my mind uh, popped the name Kyle Brumbaugh. Now, I've known Kyle for a long time when he was working uh, as a vice principal at uh, Woodside High School, where my uh, daughter used to go many, many years ago. And he is currently the director of technology and innovation for the for the Redwood City School District. And I live in Redwood City, and so I called Kyle up and I said, Kyle, I want to do this story about what teachers need to know about cybersecurity. And he told me they really don't need to know much because the school district is taking care of it. And what he told me about the Redwood City School District is doing for cybersecurity really surprised me. It seems that this district and many other districts, because Kyle is an advisor to other educational organizations and to Google about what to do to keep people safe so that they don't have to worry about this stuff. So let's jump to this interview now with the very well-educated and knowledgeable Kyle Brumbaugh, Director of Technology and Innovation for the Redwood City School District. The issue of security in schools and school districts is multi-layered, multifaceted, um, and goes into multiple different areas that, I mean, for schools and our students and teachers, I mean, that's just one, that's just one piece of what we deal with in school right. districts as insofar as security goes. Now, what our basic strategy is is that we are at a point now that we now issue a device to each and every student in our district Mm -hmm. okay we then secure those so we secure those devices a couple different ways so for most schools 
maybe more than 50%. So I think most is fairly accurate. Most schools have gone to Chromebooks as the preferred device of choice, especially in elementary schools. So in Redwood City, we provide a Chromebook for every student in grades two through eight. And in students in grades K and one get iPads. What we do from a security standpoint on those iPads is, or for iPads and Chromebooks, a couple different things. So first of all, with the iPads, we lock out the iTunes store and we do that through a, multi, uh, a mobile device management platform called Jamf, J-A-M-F. And so Jamf allows us, to allows, us, allows us to manage those iPads, allows us to push apps to those iPads, and then also allows us to make certain apps available um, to students and or teachers who have those devices through what they call self-service a self-service portal, which is very similar to the iTunes store. So it's okay. only populated with the apps that we vetted are acceptable for our district iPads, okay? So that's, that's how we somewhat uh, maintain a secure environment so far as malware and some of mm -hmm. those things. Um, we also have um, filtering because we're required to have filtering on all of our devices because of federal law. So SEPA, and I'm pretty sure you, Children's Internet Protection Act that came out like yeah. 25 years ago now. But by, by federal law, we're required to have a filter on all of those devices. Any, any device that a student touches has to have some kind of filter on it. Now, what does filter do? So the filter, you know, blocks inappropriate content, pornography, gambling, mm -hmm. right? That kind of stuff. Um, so we use a filter. So like many school districts will have a filter on their firewall so that anything inside the district gets filtered and they use their firewall to filter, right? Or something attached to their firewall to filter. So they may have something like, they may have a firewall and then may have an IBOS filtering, which is another appliance mm -hmm. that's in the line that filters internet traffic going in and out of the district we've gone with a different solution, which is we can still do some basic filtering through our firewall, which we do have set up. So we have instances like we may have, um, like in our facilities department, there, there, are no, there are no students there. So at that site, we just put a very low level of filtering with the firewall because we can manage the traffic coming from that site. But any place where we have students present, we filter everything called with an application called Securely. So it's one of a variety of different applications that do kind of the same thing. And what it is, it's a client that resides on the device that basically does a DNS redirect. So it doesn't go through a traditional DNS. It goes to the DNS that this company has set up and then block certain websites. So they basically have a list of unallowed websites or um, groups of websites in certain topics that they block. And if the student tries to go to them, it basically pops up and says, nope, you can't go to that site, right? So it's basic, it, it basically uses a different phone book. So if you wanna use the analogy that the DNS, that DNS servers are 
um, like the phone books, it's like when you call 411, what's the IP address of your website? And then that gets sent back to your computer and your computer then goes to that IP address. Um, what these DNS redirects do is basically, instead of when you pick up the phone and call dial 411 and you get the pack bell operator, you, when, when your computer now dials 411 to say, where's this website? Instead of pack bell, it goes to this other company. And this other company says, um, I don't have that number. You can't get there. Okay. So that's, that's how that DNS redirects work. Now, for us, that's important. When I first got here, it was an issue because Redwood City, when I arrived here three and a half years ago, had two schools. So McKinley and Kennedy were in what we call a one-to-one take-home program. So we were providing devices to students. And those students had the ability to take the devices off campus and take them home in order to do assignments from home. Okay. Right. The problem with our previous solution was that when they were on the school grounds, we were filtering through because they were connected to our network. They were, you know, we were filtering them through our network. As soon as they walked off our campus, we had no control over those devices. Okay. Right. So my big concern was, and you know this area pretty well, um, kid from McKinley walks off the school grounds, walks two and a half blocks to Sequoia Station, goes into the Starbucks, opens up his Chromebook that says Redwood City School District plastered all over it, and then either starts surfing pornography or starts surfing gambling sites. And that's somebody from the community. How old was this kid? <laughs> well, no, this is, this is, you know, potentially never happened, but oh, potential, okay. that is the potential of that happening. Okay. So we would have no control over that. And my concern was, is that, you know, somebody from the community is going to do a cam, you know, take their cell phone and do an over the shoulder camera shot of this kid with a Redwood City School District device accessing inappropriate content. So I said, we've got to, we've got to solve that problem. Okay. So that's how securely solves that problem because that DNS redirect is resident on the device and the students can't change it. It always goes, no matter what internet connection it has, it always goes back to securely's DNS. Basically it always calls securely's 411. Okay. So that's how I we need to call securely and talk to them for a while. Yeah. You should talk securely is one of the big, there's other companies, but securely is probably one of the bigger ones. Okay. Um, so we've been with them two and a half years now. We're, um, I mean, and it was, it was a little difficult. Um, initially our initial setup was a little, little rocky, but we've been able to uh, tune it in over time. Um, well, I imagine the, the pandemic has helped you really fine tune that system. Yeah. So, and so now we have a dashboard that we, we can open up. So if we find a, a site that's inappropriate, that's not being blocked we can just go into our dashboard and block it. That's excellent. Okay. Right. So, that's, so that's from the IT side. So it, it can be essentially uh, in, invisible to the teacher. So from mm -hmm. a teacher level, maybe even from a student level, what do they need? What, what can they do to make sure they don't get hit? One of the things I'm thinking about is, you know, Mariah has kind of come back into the picture again. Mm -hmm. uh, setting up uh, zombie networks and things like that. And so, yeah. I'm wondering if your system can actually block that sort of thing or whether some, some self-concern uh, can, 
can overcome the problem? So, I mean, you, I mean, one could, I mean, it's kind of a game of whack-a-mole. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we're seeing right now that students are using to get a, kind of get around the filtering solutions that we have in place is using proxy sites. Right. That was something that was kind of in vogue 10, 15 years ago. Right. Um, and we're starting to see more of a more proxy sites kind of kind of pop up now where students go to a site that's not blocked and then use that site as a jump off point to go places that are inappropriate. Okay. Um, but there's just all kinds of things that you can't, um, you, you, you can't be completely secure. You can't be secu completely secure. So like a, a, a great story was a um, parent address sent a concern to me saying that their kid was accessing stuff that they felt was pornographic on YouTube. He said, well, you know, okay, show me what they're seeing, right? Can you, can you show me what they're seeing? And what it really became was because, you know, Google allows school districts to put within their domain accounts, mm -hmm. a certain level of filtering that's just for YouTube. And in Redwood City, we have our so they have restricted mode and then they have strict restricted mode for YouTube. Mm -hmm. And we have ours in strict restricted mode and we can approve videos. We can't, we can't block videos, but Google does allow us to unblock videos that have been blocked by their algorithms. Okay. Okay. Um, but what this parent showed me was basically an anime that was bordering on pornographic but because it was anime and the characters the character skin was purple youtube's filters weren't or youtube's algorithms weren't picking it up because what google looks for youtube looks for is excessive flesh tones you change the <laughs> you change the color of the character's skin the content's still inappropriate right mm -hmm. but but it's not going to, I mean, people find ways to get around the algorithms that YouTube has all the time. And that really is, I mean, schools and districts just have a super hard time trying to figure that out. I mean, figure that out. I mean, we can block individual sites or individual videos on YouTube because by just po by posting the URL into our filter, but, but then our block list just gets so long. Right. And then that ends up being all that we do. So we do work with our teachers to use the common sense media curriculum. So information literacy, uh, digital citizenship kind of stuff. Um, common sense media, they're based in San Francisco, but they're they're basically funded out through um, MacArthur Group. Right. MacArthur Group. And actually, remember the guy that ran for president for half a second? in 2020 from Cal Steyer. Yeah. His brother is, I think, either the chairman or the CEO of Common Sense Media. Yeah, yeah. I've I've actually tried to get a hold of them. Uh they're very difficult to get a hold of because they've got people listed on their website for for uh press relations who aren't haven't worked there for a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I do have a contact there. I I'll find out from him what what the best channel is. Yeah. Um so 
but they're also a volunteer nonprofit organization. So everybody's got day jobs. Yeah. Um, so, so they, you know, they, they do some, they do some really good things, common sense media. So, um, and we've, I mean, even in Redwood city, I mean, it's been more, um, spearheaded by Sequoia union, but Redwood city school districts involved as well is, um, it's a group that's, I think it's the major funder of it is Kaiser. But okay. there's there's a digital well-being task force that's kind of in place with, you know, the Sequoia district and then the feeder districts into the Sequoia Union High School district okay. of providing curriculum for um, for teachers that's more digital wellness kind of curriculum, mm-hmm. um, you know, minimizing screen time, knowing you know knowing, you know, knowing when, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, when to leave, you know, you know, what's your digital footprint or your digital tattoo look like. So that's, it gets kind of into the common sense media stuff. So common sense media has been involved in this as well. Now, but are, it's a, are you using the, these materials to actually teach the students as well? Yeah. So, so we have, um, we haven't, we moved over from their previous curriculum to the new curriculum. We're mandating it for any student in grades three, four, five that wants to take a Chromebook home, that they complete certain parts of that curriculum. Okay. Um, but that's it's it's always a moving target, as you can imagine. Um, the common sense media curriculum is is good, and it provides a lot of detail but it's not going to it's not going to provide everything it's not right because well that's that's the whole thing about cybersecurity is that there's always something popping up that you're not expecting uh so you're also a consultant you go beyond the river city school district Mm -hmm. how many school districts do you think are actually following these parameters i think that I think most do in order to to uh, maintain federal funding or they had. So previously, and now you roll back the clock probably 10 years ago, there was a requirement and there still is a requirement for E-rate. If you get E-rate funds that you have to certify that you're using some kind of digital citizenship information literacy curriculum, right? And you have to certify that you have some kind of filter in your district. Now, it does not mandate that you have filter on devices outside of your network. Yeah. Right. So if you have a filter on your firewall and you have you you can document that you're using the one of the three, like we use common sense media, but there's a couple others that are listed um, curriculum with your students. That is all the federal government asks of all school districts. Okay. To acknowledge. And that's part so, of their E-rate. If they get E-rate funds. Maybe the question that I started with about what do teachers need to know about cybersecurity? Maybe we should rephrase it and say, what do parents need to know about cybersecurity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and there are ways around it. Um, I think parents just need to, parents need to be more aware of what their kids are doing online. Mm-hmm. Um some parents don't have the ability. So now Securely does have a um, a home tool as well. Okay. So 
so they could have securely on the device at home. And when the kid logs into their account at home, it will give the parents the, you know, the search history whenever they want to look in the kid's search history or they want to block certain websites at home for the kids on the, on the home computer. Mm-hmm. Securely has a tool to do that for, for families. And I don't think it's all that expensive. I think it's like $5 a month or $6 a month. It's not all that expensive. But those are other options that are out there for, for parents if they, want to, if they want to manage their students' um, their students' internet usage. It also, that application also shuts down certain devices at certain hours of the, of the day. So if they say at 10 o'clock, they're locked out, it basically locks them out of all the devices, all of their devices on the network at 10 o'clock each night or whatever, but on whatever schedule the parent sets up. Well, this has really been eye-opening for me because it seems to me that our school systems nationwide are taking cybersecurity more seriously than the business world. Because potentially, just... I mean, because then I have a whole other side of this. Yeah. Which is because school districts are traditionally underfunded. Yeah. We don't have the resources that businesses have. And then we become, and you've heard, probably heard all of this. Public entities now are um, are prime targets for ransomware, etc. Yeah. Right. And so you've got the the least funded or the or funded at such a minimum level school districts that do have data that is potentially very valuable to people. I mean, the three most valuable pieces of data that our district holds our student records, our human resource data, and our business service data, mm-hmm. right? So those are our three most valuable. Most school districts don't have probably the resources to adequately protect that data as well as they should. Yeah. And that's kind of the situation nation or worldwide, actually. Yeah. But, but companies tend to have much more resource, many more resources to to handle some of those things that school districts do. Yeah. And so like, I mean, the ones that are getting hit quite a bit right now are like hospitals and healthcare organizations because they're also, they run on a very tight budget and they typically don't have, um, you know, a lot of resources in the IT field to kind of protect their data. And so they're, they're frequently targets of, of ransomware and other kind of malware attacks. So if businesses wanted to adopt your paradigm, would that be cost effective for them? Because that's, that really is the problem with, with most businesses is that not only do they have a problem affording decent cybersecurity, but there are so many companies offering them what are, what the companies are calling absolute protection uh, and don't, uh, that they don't really know what to buy first. So I, mean, I, I, I received um, a pitch uh, this week uh, where the CEO gave me this statement that says, if you buy our enterprise browser uh, technology, your workers will never have to worry about uh, uh, cybersecurity again. 
And I just about fell out of my chair because there is no way. Nobody can make that promise. Yeah. And that's what they're out there promising. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, what we've done is that those three critical pieces of data. Now we have those, we hold those in our data center. Mm -hmm. Um, They get replicated to a separate appliance called an HP store once. Mm-hmm. So that that we snapshot those a few times a day, depending upon the data, like the student student records data gets snapshotted probably two or three times a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we hold it there and it's a device that only gets written to at this time so that if we do happen to get hit with malware on our um, our core um, systems that are in in um, in operation at that time that are in in production, we have a backup that we can pull from. Have right. you heard about the company Upheaval? No, it's, it's okay. They, they, a little they, familiar. Yeah, well, they're 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 uh, they're local, I believe. Uh, they have um, a technology where they use uh, blockchain, mm-hmm. but what they do is they set up separate blockchains so that information, uh, all the information, is essentially broken up and can only be connected through specific individuals mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's a way to to decentralize the data yeah and uh it, it seems like a really good idea but uh yeah. so we're actually looking at so even though we have that separate appliance slew we're yeah. actually looking at then replicating that data and just putting it in cold storage on aws yeah as a as a, another redundant layer of security that if and it also provides us dr recovery so that if we had an earthquake or a fire and the buildings were flattened and all of our hardware goes away we would have a way to recover from from that kind of catastrophic event yeah i do the same thing with dropbox yeah so um so we're looking at potentially doing something like that where we've been working on it for a a couple of months so that's that's one of the other things that we deal with we you know we've put some other we've put some other procedures in place. So, you know, we have people that VPN into our network and we've put in, you know, two-factor authentication, just like banks do, where you have to get the text message and repeat the text message or the, the um, number back to the server in order to gain access to our network from the outside. So we've well, done, we've done th- those things to t- kind of secure our network a little bit more. Well, I think to wrap this up, maybe I can put it this way because um, it sounds like the River City School District, in fact, most school districts are doing everything they can on the IT side to protect students and uh, teachers. So uh, to answer the question, what do teachers need to know about cybersecurity? Uh, The answer is pretty simple. Don't do anything stupid. Yeah. Pretty much. Because uh, the rest of it will be taken care of as long as you. Right. Keep well, and if they see something inappropriate, report it to your IT staff. So if you see and, and we do get teachers that will send like, you know, teachers will send me an email saying, OK, I, I've seen this kid and, and the teachers are pretty good about it. They'll actually go behind the student and take a picture of the website with the URL on the uh, from the student device with their phone and then just send me the picture. OK. Right. And then I just say, oh, that's another proxy site. I look, you know, I look it up on on Google and find out what that website is. Oh, it's a proxy site. We'll just add it into our filter and block it. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, actually, I'm really impressed by this. Uh, the, the, the procedures that you've, you've described really show me that uh, our educational system is more cyber aware than almost any other company I've talked to. So congratulations. Well done. Well, we're just, you know, we, we, we do, we do more than most, but, um, but the, part of that, is, I mean, it's just resources too. Yeah. Right. I was very lucky when I came in here that there happened to be a bond in place that we could, we, we were able to rebuild our data center. When I first got here, <clears throat> the district wasn't very secure. The district had some big gaping holes in, in so far as security, mostly yeah. on the data that I, those three pieces of data that I mentioned to you, but, um, but then there was also the issues about, you know, I mean, where kids taking devices home and once that device le left campus, we had no control over it. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. Uh, Kyle, thank you very much. As usual, you're a font of information and uh, I look forward to uh, talking to you more about the future. All right. Well, let me know what I can do to help. It will do. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Kyle Brumbaugh of the Redwood City School District talking about how schools are becoming more secure within the budgets that are offered them. Uh, I thought it was fascinating and it seems to me that at least in this school district, it's more secure than most corporations and government agencies are. So I was glad to hear that. Uh, so this has been Crucial Tech. Uh, thanks for listening. If you have any comments or questions, you can go to anchor.fm slash crucial tech uh, on the Anchor website, and you can leave a one-minute audio question or comment, uh, or you can go to cyberprotectionmagazine.com. Uh, and that's cyberprotection-magazine.com and you can leave us a, a note there. Uh, it will be, there's a place to make comments right on the, uh, the uh, article that in includes this particular uh, podcast. So this has been Lou Covey and you've been listening to Crucial Tech, a Footwasher Media production.